Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Delighted to say already in the studio is David Yates. Uh, Dave, you were at Newmarket yesterday? Oh yeah, definitely. How good a day was it? I thought it was a very exciting day. It was a probably quite a nervous day in anticipation for Charlie Appleby, wasn't it? Darley sponsored. You've got your main Guinness Hope, unbeaten native trail going for the Dewhurst Caribus Tour, of course. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's fair to say it went pretty well for well, Charlie Appleby. Ended up with a what a three three hundred grand lead at the top of the trainers' table as well, mm. having t- overtaken Andrew Balding. So. I think you could say everything went to plan on what would have been probably, you know, outside the the obvious races, Godolphin and Charlie Appleby's biggest day of the year. Well, in terms of who the star two-year-old was yesterday, it's up for debate. But we're going to keep with tradition and look back at the Dewhurst as the, the main race of, uh, of yesterday. And an impressive performance from the unbeaten native trail. Talk me through your own opinion on how good this horse was yesterday, how good a two-year-old he has been. Well, he's a top-class two-year-old, isn't he? That goes without saying. The... The manner of victory was similar to the national stakes at the Curra, wasn't it? When there was a bit of a debate afterwards as to whether Point Lonsdale was at his best. But what we had here was, uh, again, a similar pattern of race. You will see after the halfway point, if you've backed this horse at a shade of, shade of odds on and you didn't know uh, what he'd done at the Curra, yeah. you, you really should done if you were back in with odds on um, but shortly after the halfway point there would have been mild unease I suppose when William Buick's arm started to move and then the second look there you just see just yeah. slightly chiving him into the bridle and as they meet the rising ground and as the race wears on you'll see how Native Trail responds. I think Charlie Appleby said, you know, he he warms into his races and he does things the right way round, which is obviously true. Mm. I think it's also true that he's more of a a, a battle-hardened two-year-old than Caribus, whom we will discuss shortly. But you know, the he's now what as short as five to two for the Guineas next spring. Personally, I think that if you really need to back a, a five to two winner, you can do so before uh, we get to the first classic of 2022. But he's done everything that is asked of him here. That flat spot is it a concern? It, it, it would be for me, I think, looking at the 2000 guineas next year, especially if we look at the way that Caribus does things. How good a Dewhurst was that, in your opinion? 
I think it was a, a, a perfectly representative Dewhurst. I don't think it was an outstanding one. It was an, um, an excellent run from Dubai Legend in, in second place there. But, yeah, I think it was, it was representative. And uh, in terms of, you know, when we discuss uh, two-year-olds' prospects for their classic season, we match what a horse has done yeah. in terms of achievements and obviously native trail tops that particular table and we look at other horses perhaps who haven't achieved the rating yeah. that native trail does but uh, seem to have more untapped potential to draw upon next year well someone who i imagine has got a, a spring in his step this morning is uh, charlie appleby uh, charlie is on the line now charlie good morning good morning richie how are you, and, and how are the horses that won and raced yesterday? Yeah, no, all very well, thank you. No, they've all pulled up well. They've uh, they ate up last night and um, had, a, had a light lead out this morning. So, no, everybody's happy with them, and uh, they look great. Uh, Charlie, let's start, first of all, if we can, uh, with Native Trail and the quality of performance that he produced yesterday. You know, four races this season, two Group 1 wins. Uh, in terms of what he showed you at the start of, or when he came in from the breeze-ups to, to now, has he exceeded your expectations? Has he caught you in any way by surprise? Um, I think that when he came in from the breeze-ups, he was always a, you know, he had a great uh, presence about himself. Um, and, uh, you know, full credit to the team there. They, you know, once he was purchased, um, I hadn't seen him at the breeze, but they... Uh, Inform me that you know Charlie's probably going to be a horse that you know, is going to be a second half of the season type of horse. You know, when you're going to the breeze ups that time of year, you're sometimes looking for those Ascot horses, and uh, and and they sort of before we'd set eyes on them, it sort of flagged up that he probably isn't that type of horse, and he'd benefit for a bit of, bit of time. And um, so I thought, therefore, that's why we gave him that bit of time, and, and we introduced him there at Sandown, and uh, we were confident going into that maiden with him um, that he'd hopefully go and uh, go and win the maiden, which he did. Um, and then sort of going into the superlative, uh, I wouldn't say we were confident, but we felt, you know, it was potentially the right step to go with him. Um, and, and as we saw there on quick ground, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it wasn't flashy uh, compared to some of the other previous superlative winners that we had in, in Pinatubo and, and Corto. So therefore, uh, again, our plan was always then to go to the, to the national stakes, um, gave him that break. And, and to be honest, yeah. You know, a few times now, um, you know, his work, you know, two weeks out from the National States, you wouldn't have been getting too excited about it all. But, but we could definitely see that there was some marked improvement from that gallop. Um, but I think, you know, where we've been, where we saw in the National States, that took us by surprise in, in, in the fashion that he picked up. Um, we always knew he was a horse that would come from, from behind the bridle and do it the right way around. But uh, the acceleration we saw that day, you know, it, uh, it pleased me, needless to say, but it's something we hadn't really seen. Um, and subsequently since the National Stakes, so I've always felt we're dealing with a sharper horse uh, mentally. Mm. As a physical specimen, you could never, you could never fault him. Um, but he's just, uh, he was just a bit of a, a sleeper there that um, he knows when to, to bring his A game, basically. It's interesting to hear what you're saying about mentally and also physically, because a lot has been made about his size and 540 kilos, man amongst boys, etc. Um, I wonder which which he has more scope for improvement, it, mentally or physically, or does he have a, a huge amount for both? What's what's your thoughts on that? I think as a physical, you, you, you'd be... Uh... 
you'd be happy to see him where he is now in the spring. Um, uh, as they, you know, the old school would say, those, uh, you know, the weight they win the Dewhurst is sometimes the weight that you want to see them in in the Guineas. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, were he to turn up in the Guineas next year in the physical condition he's in, I'd be delighted. Um, uh, mentally, he's a hard character to work out because he's, you know, his is his run style that you know he, he, you know, he comes off the bridle there from halfway and and and. and you wouldn't like to say even he comes good at the finish, but what he does is he just keep, he just becomes this sort of you know, relentless galloper um, for the last sort of furlong. Um, a different type of horse compared to Pinatuba, who would sometimes he would come under the pump for a stride or two, and then all of a sudden you know he'd be back in the bridle, and you know yeah. we will be um, you know sat there with with plenty in hand uh, going into the final furlong. Uh, whereas this horse he comes from you know comes from behind the bridle, but just keeps finding. Well, were he to turn up in the Guineas uh, at Newmarket, uh, I think it's on the 30th of April uh, next year, then he possibly will clash with Caribas, who was so impressive yesterday in the autumn stakes. Um, I guess in a similar manner to what Native Trail did, you were expecting a performance of that ilk from Caribas yesterday? Yes, very much so. On the, on the back of, obviously, what we, what we saw there in the Newmarket, you know, in the Royal Lodge, um, two weeks earlier, there um, he, uh, you know, he he caught everybody out that day, really, in, in what we saw in the Royal Lodge. Um, you, know, you know, it's easy for us all to sit at home and say, "Well, William should have sat for a bit longer," mm. um, but that was not, you know, as William got off himself, he started. I just didn't expect that, and, and I didn't expect it because you know, I had sort of said to William, "My concern on that day was the ground was quick," and 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 I said, "William, maybe start to." To let him roll before he gets into the dip because a big horse, I didn't want him to all of a sudden be having to ask questions going down into the dip and, you know, him not letting himself down. So, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of my call to say, you know, start to, to to build the race from further out. But William just, as he said, he said, it's unfortunate. He said, well, I didn't went to build the race. All of a sudden, the acceleration was there and we were gone. And and, and once he was committed, he had to go, go, go through with it. So um, I'm always a believer that you know, you've got to learn about these horses to, for the for the big day, and and and, mm. and you know this season is all about learning about Caribus because next year is is going to hopefully be his year where we we step up into Group One company, mm. and uh, I like to think that we know uh, all of his uh, characteristics and and know yeah. what we need to do to hopefully um, try and win a classic with him. Well, if we look back at yesterday's race, I think one of the things that you've spoken about quite fondly of Caribus is the way he travels through a race uh, and you talk about classic potential and you also highlighted that that you feel is one of the most important ingredients for a horse in a classic rhythm and traveling so perhaps you could just tell us a bit more about that and, and indeed uh, what Caribus possesses I think we, we, you know, obviously we, we, um, we saw him in his maiden he broke his maiden at Newmarket on the July course there and in a fashion that you know he, he came, came out the gates well enough, um, but was soon up in a forward position because it's just the, you know the nature of the the animal. He's a he's a strong, powerful horse, uh, and he took himself there naturally, um, and uh, and went and you know won his maiden in the fashion he did. Um, coming back to the Royal Lodge there, um, he's a horse that, uh, as I said, was travelling supremely well, and, and when William, William gave him the uh, asked him to go and. To pick up, he, he accelerated to uh, in, in a fashion that we hadn't seen before. 
even at home we hadn't seen that to be honest but, but we, it's not something that we'd ask for a big horse to be able to, to do that at home but um, going into yesterday uh, William was always going to ride him ultra cautiously and as you saw there you know at halfway we were still sat last off a pace that wasn't particularly frantic you know Frankie was on the front end there and as we all know there's no more dangerous man when he's dictating the way he can do on the front end and um, you know I wasn't concerned but I thought well this will certainly test this horse's uh, acceleration mm. uh, and I think we were all have to agree it was there again to the fore that, that, that's, his, that's his most explosive part is that acceleration and uh, going into the classics as you said or going at stepping up in, in class again there's one thing I like to see is, is you have to be able to travel through races you know you go around the world you go to your Breeders' Cups or go to mm. wherever it may be at Group 1 level if you're behind the bridle, those group one horses don't come back to you as a rule. They keep going, you know, whether they win or lose, they keep galloping away on the front end. So it, uh, if you're happy or lucky enough to have a horse that can travel in behind the pace at that level, then uh, that will hopefully make things a bit easier for them at the business end. Charlie, I loved your interview yesterday with uh, Tom Stanley talking about the relative merits of uh, Caribus and, and Native Trail. Um, I also enjoy the fact that a lot of people in racing have the luxury if you're not involved with the horses. We have the luxury of, of debating and coming up with all sorts of theories about what would have happened, say, had Caribus run in the Dewhurst and, and not Native Trail. I mean, first of all, do you, do you ever get involved in chats like that with William and other people in your team? And did you ever speculate what would happen if Caribus did indeed run in the Dewhurst and you'd swap the horses around or, or whatever? Um, that never really came into discussion at all with the, with the pair. I mean, the only discussion I had with... Uh the team now uh, over the last sort of 10 days really or over the last week it sounds it sounds and you think well that was a bit of a last minute call but originally with Caribus after the Royal Lodge you know people have spoken about whether we go to the Racing Post Trophy yeah. which he was in um, my thought process to that was I didn't really want to add him up to Group 1 company in soft ground and take on you know I, I respect uh, Mark's horse there that beat us um, in the Royal Lodge, uh, and, and obviously, you know, potentially Aidan's horses coming over there as well are yeah. always going to be um, respected. Um, but um, so I was more sort of looking towards maybe running him in a Horace Hill um, and just letting him finish the season off with his head in front there and doing it all the right way around. Um, but as we all know, surprisingly, over the last sort of week, the forecast has been dry, so therefore I sort of switched the plans around that I'd rather this horse have a good race on, on a sound surface there and put him away for the winter rather than for him to have to um, pull his way through a lot of mud area over the next few weeks. I'm sure the, change, the ground will change again um, and end up having a harder race than he would need to just to go and win. So um, that was our thought process for him, you know, running him back as quick as we did in the, in the roll, in, into the autumn stage, should I say, sorry. Um, and, and, and Native Trail, that was always going to be his sort of target. You know, we, yeah. we, were, we, we were hoping to try and get him to be crown champion two-year-old. So in doing so, he had to go and obviously go and win at that level again. And uh, thankfully, he's gone and done that. And hopefully, that will be enough to secure him as a champion two-year-old. It has been a superb couple of days for, for the Appleby team. In fact, a, a superb season to have the Derby winner, the Irish Derby winner, uh, you know, a, a wonderful team travelling around the world. And now the next generation is in place. That's the thing, isn't it? The, the, it it's been an incredible campaign. 
we were talking about the last few days. Well, what about the last few months with Adar, um, a second victory for for the trainer in uh, the Kazoo Derby, Hurricane Lane's exploits too, uh, abroad and in this country, and there was the, that golden weekend in North America a few weeks ago as well. And now the building blocks are being put together, aren't they, for next season? So yeah, it's been an incredible campaign. I mean, the the fact that they can achieve what they have achieved in 2021 and then have a weekend like this where you leave Newmarket with the first two in the betting uh, for the 2,000 guineas. You've got Goldspur, who was on his best behaviour yesterday. He, was, he looked like he'd got out of the wrong side of the bed at Epsom. He was banging around in the pre-saddling, yeah. uh, in, in, in the saddling boxes and the, and the parade ring before he uh, got upset in the stalls. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he he was. Well, I think he's a sixteen to one shot for the Derby. His mother, of course, Pomology, was narrowly beaten in a Prevermé and won a, a Lancashire Oaks. So, and he's two from two. Mm. So, you've got your milers, you've got your potential middle distance horses as well. So it was just a a, a crowning weekend to uh, a magnificent season. And we'll see what happens with Adia. It seems like the door is open. Yeah on that, that challenge uh, for the champion stakes. Immediately after the arc, Charlie Apple was saying, well, we wouldn't be at all afraid of stepping this horse back to 10 furlongs. Might be sooner than we thought. Uh, 10 furlongs on decent ground as well. It looks like they might get decent ground at uh, yes. Ascot, and that would suit him. Unlike Paris Longchamp, mm. which of course was uh, <laughs> which took place on uh, pretty soft ground yeah. last weekend, it looks like there's a, a, a decent forecast in the run-up to Champions Day. More on How things that, change, eh? More on that later, as Indeed. they say. Uh, the Cesarowitz yesterday, the big staying handicap, won by Buzz. A fantastic training feat uh, who last seen in action at uh, Aintree, the Aintree hurdle, running really well behind Abracadabras. Um, and it's been a, a long-term plan that came off. Yes, that's right. As you say, the, the last run was uh, that second in the Aintree hurdle. You can see Buzz, we can't see Buzz, there he is, in the Thurlow Thoroughbred colours, the grey there. A third victory in this race for Nicky Henderson, successful with Landing Light in 2003 and Caracciola uh, five years later. A, a notable success for the owners, of course, who were represented by uh, Racing TV's uh, Jess Stafford on course. And what a fantastic day this was. See how... Buzz travels into this race, and this uh, is a, a almost a, a, a microcosm, isn't yeah. it, of, of the the fight for the jockeys race, uh, the jockeys title race. We've got Will Buick towards the far side on Burning Victory, bidding to give Willie Mullins another victory in this race, and it's Ashine Murphy on the outside who comes home in front, and this was a a welcome victory in in many ways for the dual champion jockey because. William Buick, of course, had had a treble in the early part of this card and so had narrowed the gap from nine to six and the lead was put back to seven there, courtesy of Buzz's victory. So it was, it was an important one for, for Sheen Murphy too. I love the positivity that Jess spoke about after the race with what this horse could do. 
clearly he had been campaigned as a, as a two-miler over hurdles, um, but he showed at Aintree that there is scope for perhaps something better over further, and they're working back from the stairs hurdle. Just focusing on the horse for a brief moment, what sort of exciting potential do you think he has when he uh, steps back over an obstacle? Yeah, well, that's... It goes, well, really without saying, doesn't it, that there, there is definitely more to come and, and that his future in that sphere, you would imagine now, is, is going to be over uh, staying distances and also looking forward uh, beyond that to, to seeing Buzz on the flat perhaps as well over, over extreme, extreme distances in 2022. So, yeah, this is, this, um, he's, he's a horse for whom there are still lots of doors open. Indeed. Um, we'll talk more as well about Ashim Murphy, uh, who, of course, as uh, Dave said, struck an important blow in the race for the uh, Jockeys' Championship and also uh, for his own, I suspect, mental well-being after what had been a, a very difficult uh, 24 hours to, for him leading up to uh, Cesarovic day at Newmarket. So more on that a little bit later on. But uh, let's step back 24 hours prior to uh, Saturday and look back at the, the best of the racing on Friday. Uh, and we've seen the best of the Colts, two-year-old Colts. Well, it's fair to say we saw the best of the two-year-old fillies uh, when Inspiral won the uh, fillies mile. And she did it in, I think, really, really taking style, given the way the race unfolded. And there was still an element of, of immaturity about that. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, in Spiral, of course, was stepping up to Group 1 Company for the first time on the back of that success in the Mayhill Stakes at Donkster last time. I think you're right. There is still an element of uh, being rough-hewn about her, which seems a, a strange thing to say. That, that head carriage is, is slightly ungainly, but she passes her toughest test with authority. It's over 30 years since Frankie de Tori first won the Phillies Mile. Of course, it was at Ascot in those days, but in Spiral gave him, what was it, is that the seventh victory in, in, in this race, I think? And, and she was impressive. The, everyone got their wish that she's now three to one, of <laughs> course, uh, for the Guineas next year. I think similar comments apply to... Um, to what we said about the Colts, it's yeah. the equivalent of winning junior Wimbledon. We'll see how they got on next year, but she's the, the champion two-year-old filly. Well, after the race, uh, her, one of her trainers, uh, John Gosden, spoke to Lydia. Yeah, she, she ran her first race of the July course, just over the other side of the heat there. And, uh, you know, she, she was fit to win, but she wasn't very knowledgeable. She hadn't been tried at home, in a sense, uh, and she did that on her talent. Went to Sandown very comfortably, flew up the hill of Sandown, and then in the May Hill, it, it was noted by the comrade she was a little confused when he, she was asked to quicken, got a little imbalance, and then picked up and finished well. So, and she's learned from that. Frankie said she travelled very smoothly through this race. He liked the way he took her into the race, seemed to come down the dip well, and then, of course, the last furlong up the rise is what she was waiting for. Yes, she settled it really nicely. Frankie just, just slightly surprised me because you said going into this he was wondering whether 10 furlongs might be her thing. She looks like a real miler, doesn't she? Yeah, but I think you might find in the end her best trip will be 10. Right. She's scopy, rangy, frankel, filly. Her mother was a good miler, Selkirk mare. She was second here in the Guineas, second in the uh, coronation. Uh, and she was quite a character. So 
I feel watching a train that, yeah, you go for a Guinness, but after that she could well be mile and a quarter. I wouldn't know about the mile and a half, so she's the kind of filly you'd put in a Prix Diane mm -hmm. uh, at uh, Chanty as well, because you'd want that option with her. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned her family. Quite a few of them are a little tricky, but she seems to be very straightforward. Is she like that at home? Very genuine, yeah. I mean, very, very genuine wants to give too much of anything a bit like a dad and to that extent she's a filly that you train very much well within herself she lovely guy rides a Debbie at home so I looks after and she's one of those fillies you just keep calm I was pleased with her down the start when it was delayed she just want, kept walking around there she didn't go out sweating and you know you get down there and they're at the gate they want to mm. race and they've got to walk around while uh, Cashier had a shoe back put on so I thought that was a good bit of schooling for her and another bit it was having to just race with one companion as well that, yeah. that showed maturity you must have thought it was a piece of work for a time <laughs> I said I do hope they're going to join the others in a minute so she's got something to race with <laughs> I take it it is next stop 1000 guineas yeah yeah we go there we're not going to do anything silly like go to Del Mar mm. just because it's nice to be by the seaside um, no we'll we'll come back here we'll either go to a trial or a race course gallop and hopefully the Guineas yeah. yes I was just going to ask whether you you're, she's the type of filly that you might want to take in a trial because obviously she's got the group one you wouldn't yeah, necessarily need to trial or a work on the track mm. one or the other have a piece of work here with a couple of companions or, or go to a trial. And does that just depend on how she's wintered and what she's telling you at Precisely. the time? Precisely. And we know we can get cold weather here. I've just mentioned the old east winds can come in the spring and these fillies are a little bit like a tight bud. And if it's all going to come too soon for her to wait to the guineas when she might be coming to fly, you, you've got to judge your filly through the, through the spring and sometimes one piece of work on a day you shouldn't have done it. You can, they can get knocked back very quickly. It's just, it's just nature lets you know who the boss is. Uh, welcome back to the Racing TV studio. As you can tell from my giggling, Robert Cowell has joined me in the studio. Uh, Robert, you look very smart, first of all, which I know is an important thing uh, for a man of your stature. Uh, so, first of all, how are you feeling? How, how are things going? Good morning. Um, <laughs> well, my daughter and my wife said to me yesterday, make sure you dress smart, because um, I don't think I do often, and they think I look like a taxi driver most of the time. So... Um, I made a little bit of an effort, a little bit of a pink number going on with some cufflinks was quite nice. I'm glad you just didn't wear green because that would have been quite awkward in this studio. It would have been. It would have been, judging by the <laughs> what I see around me. <laughs> now, interestingly enough, uh, this is your 25th year uh, with the training master. Really? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, time does fly. Yeah, we are sort of moving up towards the sort of senior ranks now, unfortunately. That's particularly um, interesting because... Of, fairness to you it doesn't appear that you've been around for that long you know and you obviously have retained your youthful looks thank you yeah. <laughs> you don't look so bad yourself <laughs> thank you what's this mutual admiration society uh, 30 winners for the season so far yeah. equaling what you did last year how would you describe how 2021 has gone it's been um we have a lot less horses um it's very competitive out there there's a lot of new trainers coming through the ranks as we there's quite a few that uh Everyone would have noticed this year in particular um, and those that are doing really, really well. And I think the whole thing is becoming more and more competitive. And we have less horses, but I've got to say, in fairness to the yard and all the lads that work within our setup, mm. they've done a marvellous job to get the amount of winners that we've put on the board so far. And uh, they work tirelessly, like I'm sure most our staff do. But, um, yeah, it's been a bit more of a struggle this year, but I, I feel we're, we're, we've done well, reasonably well. Yeah. 
Well, I might flip reverse things because originally I was going to talk to you about the horses and then move on to maybe uh, some interesting topics. But given what you're saying about how difficult things are, how more competitive things are with your 25 years of experience as a trainer, um, perhaps you can give us a bit of insight uh, into how things have changed, into how they have become more difficult and what aspects are, are tough. I think it's I think social media is something that we've had to learn about for the sort of the us uh, sort of middle-aged guys now that the youngsters that came in immediately went into social media and I think uh, um, that spread the word a lot quicker for them yeah. um, uh, it's been a little harder for us it's harder to you know although we're, we may be reasonably well established um, you still have to be as busy as those younger chaps to you've got to be as busy as them if not yeah. busier to try and put your name forward as well so We've done a lot on our social media, and thanks to some guys that work for us that have done an amazing job to put us on, uh, you know, on Twitter and, um, yeah. and, and all, on all the little outlets that there are. But I think that's very important, and you've got to be everywhere you can. Um, there's a lot of trainers, there's a there's a lot of owners, yeah. um, but there are, it, it's harder to 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 get them, and um, it's more competitive. You know what? In a way, it's probably good for racing. Yeah. Well, that ultimately you hope that that's the case. Yeah. Um, you, you've been at the Book One sales this last week, been yeah. at Tats. I mean, how, how difficult is it to get your hands there for, because of that competitive nature of things, uh, on, on the horses that you would like to? Well, Tats, I was kind of there just as a, just watching um, <laughs> and observing. Um, I hope I'll be a little bit busy. So that was for Book One. So yeah. it was a little bit out of my league, I'm afraid. Um, uh, Book two, which is coming up tomorrow, and book three, hopefully we'll, um, I've got a few clients that are interested in horses, so we'll be scouring the books for something. Um, but book one was particularly difficult, but yeah. trade was good. Mm. You know, fantastic for the agents, fantastic for the consigners, uh, the vendors, and those that are purchasing. You know, they've got the dream alive, yeah. and uh, racing is evidently still in a pretty healthy place. It seems so, uh, yeah. judging by the, the average at the, yeah. at the sales once again. Absolutely. Um, and in terms of your ownership, Robert, obviously you trained for a, a vast number of different types of you owners. You say years again, we vast number of years ago. <laughs> Stop that. Let's, let's not talk years anymore. No. It, we've, we've both been around for a long time. <laughs> um, but the, the demographic of your ownership, has that changed much over the 25 years? Has it had to change much over the 25 years? Um, I think obviously syndicates are important, um, which is something we'll probably get on in a little bit. But I mean, I'm very lucky to have had um, Tom Morley over the years, who's been an absolute, uh, he's been instrumental in the sort of horses I've been buying, and he's yeah. been so loyal, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, and he, he's between the two of us, with, I mean, I'd say he's been there probably for 22 of the 25 years. Yeah. Um, but syndicates going forward are the way to go, as prize money as it is. You know, one man paying all the bills probably isn't really the way forward with the way prize money is at the moment. And until that increases, I think um, those, those syndicates like your, your um, Midland Park Racing yeah. and your Nick Bradleys, et cetera, et cetera, have done really, really well. And I think that's the way forward. And everybody gets a little piece of the pie and they all feel like they're very, very much involved. Yeah. With your uh, international experience as well, I know that you've traveled the world in, in the sport of racing. Do you feel that uh, we're a bit behind uh, other nations when it comes to syndicates, but if we can catch up, then it will allow for a bit more of a, of a healthy outlook. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the more people we get involved, um, the potential of those 50 to 60 in one particular horse, one or two might branch out on their own and have their own horses. So we need to get as many in as possible. Yeah. Um, 
obviously there are a number of issues that we could talk about that affect people in racing that are quite serious issues that need to be addressed. Uh, what are the things that Robert Cowell, if he could uh, wave a magic wand and, and make things better immediately? What are the things that, having all that experience, what would you want to change? Obviously, the, the old argument of prize money. It would be amazing if we could just everyone, all the the different facets just get together and just be a bit more friendly. We're, we've got amazing product. We've got yeah. the best horses in the world, the best pedigrees in the world over here. People love watching English racing. The product is there. Yeah. Why don't we just all get on and just thrash something out? It just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? I mean, every single week there's someone <laughs> saying, what are we going to do about it? Why don't they yeah. just do something? Why doesn't someone do something about it? You know, There's uh, a lot of talk, isn't there? There is a lot there's of talk, talk and there's no action. Um, that's one thing. The other thing I'd quite like to see... Um, I'd like to see a dark day like they have in America. I'd like to see one rest day, perhaps on a Monday or a Tuesday, just a day when more, more, more so for the staff than anybody that yeah. can just recharge the batteries, have no racing, there's no pressure, there's no, yeah. you can think about having a day off and yeah. you can actually do something quite productive. Yeah. So a day off would be wonderful for the industry, yeah. I think. Um, be superb for the staff because they work so hard through I mean, there's no days off at all. I mean, it's seven days a week. Mm. Um, of course, we have weekends and we're given afternoons off and this and that. But I'd just like to see a day where there's no racing, in my opinion. And that will probably... Um, the, fi the, the fixture list... I was going to say, that would work in tandem with the fixture list. With the fixture list, there'll be a little less racing, probably a little bit better prize money. And... Um, I just think that would work. I, it works in America, and I lived over there for quite a while, and I yeah. think uh, people look forward to that. That, though, that trio of topics that you just brought up, they all link together. Of course, yeah. And if you could you know, do something about prize money, reduce the fixtures, therefore means more prize yeah. money, then have a, a, a day off. So if that's the case, I mean, it's that simple. Why doesn't it happen? Yeah. Who's going to do it, though? That's the thing. <laughs> well, me, me and you. Different well, facets. That's, I mean, that ultimately but, is it. I mean, this is it. You know, you, you've obviously been involved with the National Tra Trainers Federation, etc. You've had discussions. I'm sure you've been, you know, there's, there's so much that, that have, or so many different factors in racing that have a say that makes it hard. Would that be your, exper your thoughts? I think there's too many, there's too many individuals, there's too many parties that um, they've all got, different they all aspire to something different mm. and i don't think anybody therefore can have a i don't know where the middle ground is that's the trouble um but i think if someone were to find the middle ground we could just yeah. get everybody together in an afternoon get them all in together and let's just thrash it out yeah. and do something there's just too much talk and there's no action i just feel like it's uh, racing could become a lot better very quickly if mm. we we were able to do something i'm not the one to do it but I don't mind being in the in the room, yeah. shouting out my little bit behind uh, everyone's ear. Well, it's it's interesting to hear you talking about things that could be better. But what are the things that this country does in in horse racing that are the things that make you proud? The breeding, superb. Um, the studs around are which is where, essentially where the horses come from. You yeah. know, the studs in Ireland and England are just absolutely wonderful. You go to the sales. The horses are immaculately turned out. The sales are very healthy. So if the sales are healthy, then we, we obviously have a very, very burgeoning business, don't yeah. we? We must all do because yeah. everybody wants to buy horses. Everyone wants to be part of it. Um, the race course, it's lovely. When you go racing and there's a, there's, you've got, you've, you get so many 
to, you can get anybody wanting a five pound entry fee to someone yeah. paying you know the top dollar for the for the yeah. restaurants at the top um and everyone has a lovely time it's it's superb racing especially in the summertime um and you can't get the the, the atmosphere is just wonderful it's as good as anywhere, really. The racing, actually, the racing atmosphere, like your Goodwoods and your Ascots and your New Markets. I just bring those up as an example, but yeah. they are amazing festivals. Yeah. You know, so um, we do a lot of things right there. Uh, you've done a lot right in, in your career, and the list of, of good horses that you've trained is long and distinguished. But they are all sprinters. I, I look back at all the, the big races that you've won. There was a seven furlong horse, well, I think, wasn't there? <laughs> Was it seven furlong? Is that an intermediate distance <laughs> for you? Is that That's a distance horse. <laughs> uh, but I look back at, at all the big races, all the pattern races that you've won, and they're all under a mile, seven furlongs or, or yeah. less. Is that by design or accident? Um, do you know, I was thinking about this last night, and actually um, it's by design, and, but partly by accident. And uh, you know, again, harping back to Tom Morley, when we first decided we need to go out and buy ourselves a good horse, we realised that the bigger outfits were selling the the colts that were now geldings yeah. um, that didn't get a mile and they didn't really want sprinters in the yard because they were wanting right. to win the guineas and the derbies etc cetera, etc cetera. so we saw a little loophole there that um, um, that we could afford um, because I can't go and buy Galileo I can't go and buy you know all these fashionable sires and yeah. I, I won't win the derby and I won't win the guineas but I've got a good chance of winning another King Stand or a Nunthorpe or yeah. um, you know a, a high class flat race uh, over uh, in the sprint distances um, so that was great for about three or four years five six years maybe yeah. but then everyone else got on the on the bandwagon a little bit yeah. obviously Danny Nichols was amazing at it before before I was yeah. um, not that I was amazing he was amazing <laughs> uh, but but everyone else saw that loophole that people were selling these horses but now the bigger outfits realize that actually they're, they're good Saturday horses for them as well, and they sh they showcase their studs or or colours or whatever. So then you can't now buy them. I mean, so it's become harder for you. Well, it's become much harder, and we can't buy them. And obviously, Dubai people were buying horses to go to Dubai for the big festivals and the carnivals out there. Um, so the big outfits weren't selling their nice horses, which kind of put me in a little bit of a different position. So, but we still look, yeah. but it's harder. It's, it's harder to find the diamond. Yes, just under four weeks to go to the World Championships for Thoroughbreds on the 5th and 6th of November. Of course, you'll be seeing it all live on Racing TV as well. And with that in mind, Christina Blacker has been updating us weekly ahead of the Breeders' Cup. And now she's catching up with a legend of the championships, the man in the saddle who's done it all, Mike Smith. Who better to talk to about the Breeders' Cup than the all-time winningest jockey in Breeders' Cup history. 26 Breeders' Cup wins for the Hall of Famer, Mike Smith. Mike, I'll start just off the top with some highlights. Any horses come to mind as you start reliving all 26 of those Breeders' Cup victories? Oh, they're all so special, you know. But, uh, you know, your first one is always, is always something else. And then, of course, Zenyatta's, well, Zenyatta's Breeders' Cup will probably go down as probably my all-time favorite just because she's the only female that ever that still to this day has only beat the boys uh, and Arrogate when Arrogate beat California Chrome that was that was a heck of a race last year was kind of a bizarre situation for you due to the pandemic and some of your big horses retiring you actually sat out the Breeders Cup for the first time what was that like as you look back on last year it's sad for me because that's 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 my favorite two days I mean I, I just absolutely 
for some reason, Breeders' Cup just does something to me. And, and so it's always sad when you have to miss them. But uh, hopefully we'll be there this year. Um, got a really nice two-year, couple of really nice two-year-olds that, that have run. Uh, Pinehurst, who won the, the fraternity there at Del Mar. And then uh, yesterday, Cornichi winning the American Pharaoh here. So that'll be a decision we have to make. But we won't do that till down the road a little ways. It's a good problem to have, specifically on Corniche. Can you explain a little bit what was asked of him yesterday in the American Pharaoh? Because I think going from a five and a half furlong race, first time out, especially with his pedigree, all the way to the mile in the 16th, I mean, that was a big change. The post position from outside to inside, everything they threw at him, he was able to respond with a win. You know, he's, he's not only talented, he's a really, really smart colt. Uh, but it was asking a lot of him. I, was, I, was, I had to be honest with you. I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised yesterday if, if we come up just a little bit short. But then you have the great uh, Bob Baffert training him. So I, I knew that probably wouldn't happen, but you just never know. It's, it's asking a lot to go from 5.5 to mile 16th. But, you know, he passed all, all tests with flying colors, and hopefully that race didn't take much out of him. How important is it to you with a young horse that you mentioned and kind of touch on his mentality, Cornish's mentality? How important is it that they match up the physical ability and then just the mental maturity? I mean, with any, you know, good horse, what makes them great is, is their mind on top of the ability that, that they have, and, and he has both, and he's really kind, he listens to you. You know, I was able to get aggressive with him leaving there, and then you saw when I put my hands down, he just put his ears up and he waits on you, which really helps a lot. Uh, that also will help them carry their speed even further because they are, they're kind, you know, they basically rate themselves, you're never in a, in a fight with them, so that helps a whole lot. You ride at Del Mar quite often. We've had the opportunity to have one Breeders' Cup at Del Mar. Are there any signatures in terms of what is so important to be successful riding the main track and the turf course at Del Mar? More so probably I would say the turf course. You know, uh, turns are tight and a very short stretch. So you want to have your horse, in, if, if possible, in some sort of position where where you're able to get a free run at them, you know, uh, at some point, and maybe even have to lose a little ground at times to do it. But the stretch is so short. If you if you get bottled up and, and it, it, you get out late, man, it's just too late to catch them. Are there any differences that you've noticed from the summer versus the fall at Del Mar? No, no, not necessarily. Uh, main track plays pretty pretty true to form. I would just say the turf course is the only tricky thing. Well, we wish you the best of luck as you qualify more runners in the coming weeks. And, of course, we'll see you at Breeders' Cup this fall. I'm praying we see me there. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Smith, the all-time winningest jockey in Breeders' Cup history, planning to be back for this year at Del Mar. Genesis loves only you over on the inside. Mishriff, it's not his in front of the Shima Classic. A Shima Classic comes up and it's Mishriff. This is the Mishriff we've seen the world over producing his best form back in the UK and Mishriff absolutely blitzes them in the jugbot. A Saudi Cup, Shima Classic, and a first domestic Group 1 uh, in the Judmont International. David, I'm surprised that there's not a huge grin across your face for, for the money, if not nothing else. <laughs> no, just uh, it's nice to watch them replays back, all three of them big wins all in a row. Um, hopefully there'll be uh, more memories to come in the near future. I mean, I... I I introduced you by saying 22 years of age because I, I almost find it hard because it feels like you've been around for longer. I remember when you obviously you turned professional back with the whole Palasta, Roger Varian, Goodwood time. Sure. Um, 
how 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 much do you think things have progressed uh, and the speed of progression has it been expected has it been quicker than you thought yeah obviously uh i won champion apprentice in my second season riding which that was all seemed a bit of a rush and didn't go out that season expecting to be champion apprentice um since i won that since i obviously turned professional fairly early in my career it's a big step it's okay riding lots of winners in an apprentice everyone wants to use you for your seven five and three pound claim but once you get thrown into the deep end at 18 as i was it, it takes a while to adjust and to be confident in your own ability to get the job done and thankful i've been given many opportunities mm. since i have turned professional as you said pilaster was my first ride as a fully fledged jockey <laughs> in a group two to win the little langtry for and boss Mr. Vary and then for Cheveley Park it's it was that was a fantastic day and that gave me the oh. confidence at the right time that I probably needed as a as a young rider. And and nothing more uh, of a uh, of a success story and a dream horse I can imagine for you than than Mishrif. And and we'll come to Mishrif uh, a little bit later on but I'd I'd love to go back to the start because see reading up about you and and knowing a bit about your background and you are on both sides of the pedigree bred for the job. I mean, it, it couldn't, you know, when you talk about uh, Galileo out of Ouija board, for example, it, it's kind of it's kind of the pedigree for, for David Eager to succeed in, in racing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you could say so. I know with uh, the book one, Tapsiles <laughs> October Yearling Sales, I, I might have got a, a spot in book one for sure with my family, both flat and jump racing. I'm in a very privileged position. I can't forget that. But uh, along with the position I've in, I've worked tremendously hard to, to get where I am. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because uh, just I don't know whether you know anything about this, but the Australian Cricket Academy, everybody who goes into the Australian Cricket Academy, uh, when they come in, they give them all the same speech. They all say to them, well done, you've got amazing talent, so well done for that. But it's nothing for you to be proud of because those genes belong to your parents. What you do with that talent is what you will eventually be proud of. So at what point did you realise that it's going to be hard work and I'm going to have to do what I have everything in my power to make a success of the genes and of the opportunities. Yeah, I think from a young age, seeing my mother take up training ranks and my father being a jockey all his life, seeing him uh, work hard day in, day out, it's grown up inside a race and I understand the game from a very, very young age from maybe other people looking to come into racing at 15, 16, 17, I kind of got that insight into what it takes to really, really make it, and I think I've used that to my advantage for sure. What was the first experience that you think maybe set you, set you on the path? Obviously, we know your dad, John, uh, your mum, the, the Hughes side of the family, etc. Um, but your own personal experience of, of when you felt, yeah, you know, this is, this is really made me realise what I'm going to do. Was it when you went to Willie McCreary's perhaps or, yeah, or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so growing up in Ireland, I used to ride out for my grandfather, Desi Hughes. I used to ride the quiet jumpers and look, I, I could ride, but I wouldn't class myself as an outstanding young rider as a kid. I was probably a little below average, you could say, really? with, with my pedigree. But uh, yeah, my grandfather made the right decision really looking at it in hindsight, if he hadn't said that to me that day, I mightn't be where I am. He um, told me to go down to William McCurries, who trained down the road, and he said, 
if you want to be a jockey, you want to be a flat jockey, you're small enough, so go and give it a go. And went down, asked Mr. McCurry for a job, and uh, yeah, I was there from 14, 15, 16 until I left school, and I learned a tremendous lot there. What did you learn? What were the things that, that woke you up to the job? Yeah, learned, I suppose. Well, at least get run away with a lot. That's for starters. <laughs> I uh, learned how hard it was. I used to. I was probably spoiled riding out at home. I used to ride just the quiet horses there. I was probably putting the more challenging rides, and I had to sort of wake up and realise it's it's time to improve and yeah. get better. And week on week, I think I got better. And probably Willie probably said the same. And by the time I left, it's probably made me the young man I, I was to head off to England. Did you have any role models? Were there any other riders perhaps that you, you leaned on? Obviously you have the, 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 the benefit of, of a family, but was there anyone outside of the, of the family unit that maybe you, you looked up to or spoke to? Yeah, look, being surrounded by a lot of people in racing, obviously my family, but then we'd have a lot of family friends in racing, so I've had a lot of advice from a lot of different people, which is a big advantage to have. So you can take little bits off. Instead of having one role model, you could take little bits off 10 or 20 people yeah. who I'd have close relationships with. And uh, yeah, they're, they're all a big help and greatly appreciated. And you made it over to the British Racing School, is that right? And yeah. how did that switch come about? And when did you decide, yeah, I'm going to leave Ireland, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over to, to Britain? Yeah, obviously at 16 to my... Uh, mother's dislike I wanted to leave school and become a jockey and I felt to give myself the best opportunity to become a successful jockey as an apprentice I thought England was the best way to go. Um, Was that hard as a 16 year old saying I want to leave home I want to leave the the protection of of where I've grown up my whole life to or where where I've spent you know such a large proportion of my life to, to go away basically. Yeah as we touched on before I've been surrounded by a lot of good people that I could get advice and get their point of view and obviously probably for my mother it was hard to see her son move away from home and go over to England but dad was obviously he stopped riding for a number of years to run Firestown Stud a stud near the Curra and uh, he was going back race riding so it was the perfect opportunity that I could uh, leave home but also stay close to my dad that he could sort of keep me on the straight and narrow <laughs> for my uh, upcoming years in, in Newmarket. Uh, and people often talk about little moments that make a difference, luck perhaps. Um, and at the end of the, the British Racing School spell, am I right in thinking that's when you first had a taste of time at Roger Verins? Absolutely, How yeah. did that come about? So at the end of my, uh, I went on a four-week course in the British Racing School, which sort of any, anyone going into racing, no matter what level of riding ability, they have to do some sort of foundation course there, which is fantastic facility there at the British Racing School. Um, so at the end of my three weeks, on the last week, we were given the opportunity to go out and ride out at a stable, and my instructor, Aideen Marshall, who... His partner, Mike Marshall, was assistant trainer to Roger Varian at the time. Yeah. Just so was happened. with Henry Cecil. Exactly, right yeah. He was, uh, that was the deciding factor, whether it was pre-empted or I was just one of the two young apprentices or up- upcoming apprentices at the time that were uh, 
sent off to, to Roger Varians and uh, at the end of my week we had a had a chat and he offered me a, a job as sort of there and ride out not so much as a I never expected to be in the position I am a couple of years later but uh, it just all built up and uh, tremendously appreciated to everyone at the yeah. British Racing School to oh. give me that opportunity. And what was it like having obviously had the experience that you did in Ireland at William McCreeze etc then gone to the racing school and then gone into that bigger yard at Newmarket at Roger Verens is as big as there is uh, at Racing's HQ. What was that change of scenery like for you? Yeah, massive. Look, I'd understood big training establishments growing up, but to actually go in and be one of the people, part of the cog in the wheel, you could say, even though I was just going in there riding out a couple of lots in the morning, every, every little helps. And I think just to realise the mass amount of people like Roger he could have 50 or 100 people working for him and to see that many people yeah. working for one organisation it was unbelievable and to see all the good horses yeah. so when I was going in there riding out Kingston Hill had just won the ledger and second in the derby and so many tremendously good horses and to get the opportunity to be part of that team was a real honour for me at such a young age. And it's quite a, a, a large group of jockeys that Rogers uh, has assembled over the years. Obviously, there's Andrea, yeah. there's yourself, there's Jack, there's Ray. Um, what's that camaraderie like just within the yard? Yeah, look, obviously going in there, I looked up to Jack and Andrea. They've been a huge help teaching me from 16 years of age, riding work with them every day, giving them little tips, before I even drove, they used to give me lifts racing. So yeah. a big, big thanks had to go out to them two lads, Jack and Andrea. Um, obviously, they've seen me progress and riding alongside them now, and I call them very good friends as well. Yeah. To, to, to win the apprentice title um, as quickly as you did, um, do you now, or have you reflected on the time uh, and said, you know, that was some achievement? Yeah, I, it all happened in bit of a flash really um, obviously I rode I think six winners my first first season and then I went off to America and sort of learned time and things like that like a lot of apprentices do nowadays and uh, came back and I think I had a winner for Mr Ellsworth mm. Philly called Tis But A Dream at Ascot in sort of May or June time it wasn't the Royal Meeting it was before that yeah. she had eight stone and I was claiming seven pounds so she had seven stone seven on her back and obviously I was very very light back then and uh, I think having that Ascot winner it was an ITV yeah. walking in getting interviewed afterwards I think that was a big help in my young career to kind of get my name out there and just show I could uh, deliver on the big stage and from that day I just felt it snowballed I rode my first double then later on in the season I rode my first treble at Chepstow and uh, yeah I remember a lot from that season it was all quick but yeah and a takeout, and a main pinpoints in throughout the season, and uh, all that to accumulate and come up against a very good jockey in Kieran Schumacher, who yeah. put put it right to the wire. And thankfully, I won by one winner. We both went to Catrick to yeah. get as many winners as we could. We both skipped Ascot to go to get the That's winners, right. and uh, we both drew blank on the day. So uh, no, it was uh, good to win, but uh, Kieran was very uh, very good in defeat. And there have been some fabulous memories along the way in that last decade. Uh, a lot for Rod Street.
uh, to be proud of. Rod is joining us on the phone now. Rod, when you look back at the last 10 years of Kipco British Champions Day, how satisfying is it uh, from a personal perspective? Yeah, very, really, Rishi. It's, um, um, I can't believe that it is it's 10 years. It just occurred to me that David Egan must have been about 12 years old when we <laughs> had our inaugural Champions Day in 2011. Yes, it is, but beyond any sort of personal satisfaction about how the days developed, it was a big team effort. And at the time, the, the shareholders in Champions Series, the, the Jockey Club and Ascot, um, those other independent race courses, York, Goodwood, I won't name them all, I'm not here to do that today, um, you know, made a real commitment to create a different kind of event and a, a, a fitting finale to the flat season. And, and change, as you know, is so difficult in racing. Mm. Um, we know that the calendar, that the when we're talking about the, the premier races, is, is really compressed as well. And so I, I think to, to find the right slot for the day was was challenging. But... Yes, here we are, 10th anniversary, and it's looking pretty exciting, isn't it? Yes, it is looking pretty exciting. We'll get to that in a moment. But you mentioned that the 10-year journey, and obviously not everything in the sport of horse racing when it comes to journeys goes smoothly. And there have been a couple of bumps in the road, and it's always primarily around the date and the conditions, etc. Of course, this week we've had the, the chat about the arc, uh, and Nick Smith at Ascot has mentioned, <laughs> he has said that it would be interesting if the arc was moved, that it would be beneficial uh, to, 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 the, to the Champions Day card. But that, I'm guessing that is just simply because it would give an extra week as opposed to the, the date move. That, that's that's not, not a subject um, that, that would be under consideration. Not at the moment. I, I think we'll keep a watching brief on that. And it, it looked to me like perhaps um, the French rode back a bit on their earlier statement during the week anyway, after the, 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 the feedback yes. they got. But I think when, when, when you talk about moving a, a big fixture, for example, like the Arc, in such a compressed calendar already, it's going to affect something somewhere. We, we, we know from the creation of, of Kipco British Champions Day how hard it is to find a space that works. And so... I think our focus is making sure we focus on the date that we've got and the day that mm. we've got. We know that racing in the autumn, you're going to get years when the ground is going to be soft or even heavy. We've had contingencies in place to deal with that, um, with the use um, now of the inner track as well, which gives yeah. us another option and, and an option that, that many race courses simply don't have. But I, I think unless something changed and we had to react to it, um, I think we're dealing with the day that we've got, Rishi. Oh, and what a day it is, uh, Rod. A day in prospect that uh, features four Group 1s, the Group 2, the Balmoral Handicap. And, well, the Group 1s aren't going to be attractive unless they have stars. And we have a, certainly a couple of stars on show in the QE2. We've got Palace Pier and, of course, Mishrif. We've just spoken to David Egan in the Kipco Champion Stakes. And there was the, the tantalising possibility, uh, considering the ground's going to be decent, that Charlie Appleby has kept the option open for the Derby winner, Adeyar. Perhaps more on that in just a moment. But just to remind everyone, Rod, of, of the six races on show, prize money, etc. Just just talk to me about uh, what you think when you see this list. Oh, it's just really exciting. And I don't want to tempt fate because the entries are confirmed tomorrow, obviously, Rishi. But <laughs> we've, we've got pretty much all, you know, the, the great majority of the horses that are available are still potentially there to, to run. And, and it, it looks like an incredibly exciting day. The QE2 could be, should be 
the best mile race in the world this year, really, um, with Palace Pier and Baid and Poetic Flair and Alcohol Free. Not to forget, potentially, um, last year's winner, the defending um, horse at the Revenant. So that looks really, really exciting. But again, I was just before I came on the show, I saw you tweet out that um, that, that, that Charlie Appleby had said that, that Adar is kept in for the champion stakes, and that makes it uh, incredibly exciting. Um, on, on the basis we, you know, we know we're highly likely to have Mishrith yeah. in in any case. Um, so wherever you turn, it looks good. And, and, you know, I had a, a peek at the sprint entries and reminded myself that that is a really open race with some really, really decent horses in it. So it's just um, a great car that right right up until the, the tantalising valuable handicap, which um, is always, in, yeah. you know, incredibly well subscribed. And um, we do, in fact, on, on Thursday night, we have a preview evening, which you can go to via the, the British Champion Series website it's on our it's being held on our facebook page um and and the challenge to the tipsters on the night is to find the, the balmoral winner uh, and rod a, a crowd as well a big crowd at, at expected at ascot uh on the weekend uh is there anything promotional wise that um, they can look forward to for this 10th anniversary well we always like to, to and like, well, actually let's start at the beginning we we raced at behind closed doors last year rishi so we're just delighted to be racing with a crowd first and foremost, and it's likely to be the the best attended event at Ascot since 2019. It will be the biggest crowd that's come into the race course since then. So that's something to be excited about. Two enclosures, the top two enclosures sold out some weeks ago, and there's there are Queen Anne tickets available. So a, a big crowd. We always try to make the day feel um, exciting. The way we dress the site and present it um, always gives it a, a, a very different feel. We've got a jockey school. Um, with with sessions um, from leading jockeys uh, for the kids to come and attend. Um, there's always, of course, the um, the after party. If you haven't had enough of brilliant racing all day and you want a bit more, there's the after party. Nothing ages you more when one of the after party acts, Roman Kemp, is the son of someone that you used to follow in music when you were a kid. That's Martin <laughs> Kemp in Spandau Ballet. Definitely getting old. Of course, we're crowning the champion jockey on the day and we and, and that's going to be an interesting week. I mean, six is no gap between the two protagonists at the moment. That could change enormously and who knows, it may well be decided on Saturday. Um, we're crowning the champion owner, mathematically highly likely to be Godolphin. We don't crown the champion trainer. Their championship runs until December the 31st, but it's highly likely that the three vying for that at the moment will decide that contest with four million pounds of prize money on offer on Saturday. So lots of activity. We're welcoming some Olympians and some Paralympian guests. We've done that um, in every cycle of the Olympics when there's been a a Champions Day. We welcome some Olympians along and they'll be down in the parade ring to to share their medals. And and so it's always just a a day that focuses on the the top class racing and it's a, a very enthusiastic racing crowd but there's just always lots to go on um, around the day to give it extra excitement. And I should not forget either, we have the Hall of Fame exhibition Mm. in the main grandstand as well, which we launched this year. So lots to see, lots to do. And thankfully, if you want to come, there are still some tickets available.